Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Well, I'm going to take you back to high school. Is that okay? Maybe you can remember some of us. It's been a lot longer than others, but maybe you can kind of get back there to high school. And if you can get back there, I want you to go to that dreaded group project. Do you remember the group projects that you had in high school? And those were kind of the bane of some of our existences because some of you loved group work because you didn't have to do anything and you got an A. And the others of you hated group work because you did all of the work for everybody else. And some of you are shaking your heads because you know which group you are. So for those of you that did all of the work for everybody else, thank you for carrying the weight of your entire group. And for those of you that just kind of were slackers and allowed everybody else to do everything for you, you should feel shame this morning, okay? In fact, the Bible this morning says there is no shame in Christ. So maybe I'll let you feel ashamed for just a little bit, but here in a few verses, we'll give you a pass as well. But you remember those moments where one person would do all of the work and someone else would benefit from the work. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can write yourself into that kind of story. But it's not just high school, because in, in adulthood, the same kind of thing happens. If you've ever been maybe on a committee or you've ever been asked to be a part of a task force or a leadership team, or maybe there's a project that you're working on at, at your place of employment and you've been assigned a group to do that, you, you, you know those moments. You have felt those moments before where you think and you look around and you realize, I don't think everybody's pulling their weight here. I think that I'm doing a little bit more than she's doing, or he's doing a little bit more than he is doing. And as frustrating as that is, it, it happens. And you're probably able to move forward and, and you don't you know, look for a new place of employment because of that. You excuse the behavior and you move on. However, if we're not careful, we'll allow that same line of reasoning to work itself into many other facets of our life as well. When it comes to marriage, it's never a good idea to say, I'm going to do all the work and he's going to do nothing. Or I'm going to do all the work and she's going to do nothing when it comes to parenting. It's a really bad idea to say, let me do all of the work and you do nothing when it comes to friendships. It's a really bad idea to not have kind of some mutual relationships, some mutual strength in those relationships. In fact, if you want really healthy friendships, then you have to work at it. You have to cultivate it. You have to put something into it. Because if you've ever had that friendship where you're the only one who's ever investing anything, how long did that friendship last? probably not very long because it's very one-sided and, and you realize that there's just not some equality there that it needs when it comes to living out your calling. It's really, really important for me to say, you know what? I have something that I need to put into this. It's not just about what she does, but it's about what I do as well. I have roles and I have responsibilities and I can't farm everything else out to someone else because sometimes that's my operating system because I'm still kind of operating as that sophomore in high school where I just kind of like to ride the coattails of everybody else. If that is my operating system, I'm going to miss something. 
I'm definitely going to miss something that God wants to do. And this morning, as we set our sights in Romans chapter 10, you're going to see that because in Romans chapter 10, what Paul does, who is the writer of this letter, what Paul does is he addresses this dynamic that we sometimes see ourselves falling prey to. He saw this dynamic operating in the early church, and he wanted them to understand that everybody had a role and that everybody had a responsibility and that everybody, in fact, had a job that they were entitled and asked to do. We have, we have this, this amazing, beautiful life that God has for us, but we're never going to experience that if we just say, you know what, I want to be a receiver. Rather, I've got to be a contributor. I've got to be someone who is invested in the work. I've got to be somebody who's passionate about what really, really matters. And so this morning, we walk away, hopefully, with a deeper understanding of what it means to have a zeal for those things in life that really matter, a passion for those things in life that are God-honoring. That's where Paul's taking us in this particular part of the letter. And so with that said, let's pray together and let's ask God to do what only He can do today in our midst as we open up Romans chapter 10. Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for worship this morning. Thank You, God, for the Word that we now get an opportunity to study. I pray that in our time together today, God, that you would be honored and glorified, that you would receive all of the praise, and that you would change us, God. And I pray that that change would happen not because of anything that's said from anybody on this stage, but through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, doing, God, what only you can do. So we thank you, God, for meeting us here, and we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who gives us life. And it's in his name that we pray and that we now commit this time. Amen and amen. Now, for those of you who are new with us this morning, we found ourselves in this series called Masterclass, and you're wondering, what is this all about? It is a summer series where we're going step by step, book by book, chapter by chapter through the book of Romans. And so we're at chapter 10. If you look ahead, we have a few more that will get us through the end of the summer, but this is an amazing amazing series that we've been just looking at, this letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Rome. And so in the Rome, in, in the city of Rome, which we referenced several times, was kind of like a mixture of Washington, D.C. and Las Vegas. It was, the, it was the center of all power, but it was also the center of all things entertainment and all things cultural, if you will. And so the church is made up of both Jews and Gentiles, and Paul's addressing some issues that are prevalent in the church. And so chapter uh, 10 uh, particularly comes on kind of the concepts and the ideas that we unfolded last week in chapter 9. And if you weren't here, I'll give you a real quick abridged version of what happened in chapter 9. In chapter 9, Paul was anguished. Paul was really frustrated. He was really saddened by the fact that Israel, that the Jews had not accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And he's reminding them once again that they have a righteousness, but that that righteousness was by law. And it was by them following a bunch of rules. And rather, he says, I have something more. Jesus died so that you could have life. And it's all about that change of heart. And it's all about those attitudes and those, uh, those changes, not just in all of the following of the rules, but uh, understanding that righteousness and being made right comes by faith. See, that's the backstory to chapter 10. And so if you have a copy of God's word, I would encourage you to open to Romans chapter 10. You're going to see these words up here on the screen as well. You can hop on one of your mobile devices and go to the Rolling Hills app. And you can follow along with us as well. But if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who 
believes. And so what is Paul starting here with? He's starting with letting the church know that he has a desire for the Jews to come into that relationship with Christ. It's kind of the same theme that was in chapter nine. It's carried over into the first part of chapter 10. And he has this desire for them to understand who the Messiah is. But Paul doesn't just kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater either. He acknowledges that there's some really incredible things that are happening in this Jewish population. And starting with, he says, they have a lot of zeal. They have a lot of passion. They have a kind of a, a lot of commitment. They are very, very devoted. They're a very devoted group of people. He says they're devoted to the law. They're devoted to a righteousness that comes by the following of the law but they're really missing that righteousness that comes by faith in God, by faith in God through Jesus Christ. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life when you see somebody who's really, really passionate, but you kind of just stand in the corner and you cross your arms because you think they're really, really passionate. They're just not passionate about the right thing. If you have a social media account, you see that all the time. You see people who are really passionate about a lot of things and you're like, I wouldn't have cared that much about that, but you do. And that's okay, because to each his, her, her own, you see a lot of times people spend a lot of time, maybe a lot of work to uh, create a lot of drama or be concerned about things that don't really matter. And you're thinking to yourself, it would be really, really great if we could devote this to something that was a little more meaningful, that was maybe a little bit more purposeful. Maybe you judge me for saying this, but sometimes I'll see people who do these illegal acts and I'll understand, I, I watch these true crime stories and I'll see these people that, that unfold these, these immaculately planned out cyber attacks and all these kinds of things. And I'm thinking to myself, if we could have just got you in the right direction, you could have been a game changer. I mean, you could have been a world changer for the kingdom of God because that took a lot of work. That took a lot of dedication. That took a lot of intuition. That took a lot of intelligence. That took a lot of knowledge to be able to do those things. And you just kind of misplaced it. You put it in the wrong direction. And what Paul is saying here is there's a lot of zeal in the Jewish population. They're just misplaced. They don't have that true understanding and that true commitment of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. And that's precisely what Paul is speaking about. It's if you go back to verse three, he says, since they did not know the righteousness of God and they sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And what Paul has done here is he has unearthed one of the most pressing human dilemmas that we are faced with. He says, they did not follow a righteousness of God. So what did they do? They created a righteousness of their own. What do we tend to do in culture? If we don't like the rules that God gives us, what do we like to do? We say, we'll go outside of the bounds of those rules and we'll create our own. We don't like God's design, so I'll go outside of those bounds and I'll create my own. I see what God says here in scripture. He's given us the word. He's given us clarity and a lot of issues in life, but I don't like that because it asks something of me or I don't really think that that's right. So instead of accepting that and following that, I'm going to go outside of the bounds of God's plan and come up with my list of own rules. And Paul is saying, because they didn't have a righteousness by faith in God, they sought to establish their own. 
They didn't submit to God's righteousness. God sent his son Jesus to this earth to save the world from their sin. And it was through Jesus that it says there was the fulfillment of the law. And it's only through Jesus Christ that you and I can be restored and we can be made right. But if we choose not to see him, or if we choose not to follow him, then in essence, what we're doing is we're making a choice to say, I want something else to be the authority in my life. I want something else to be the standard in my life. And this is something I know to be true about every person in this room. This is something that we all have in common. And you see it here on your screen. Your life is under the authority of someone or something, be it godly or human. This is true for every one of us in the room. Your life is under the authority of someone or something, be it godly or human. How do I understand where my authority lies? Who do I, whose authority do I live under? Who is Lord of my life? Well, the best way for me to discern the answer to that question is to look at my priorities. Where do I find my meaning? Where do I find my purpose? Where are those things that I really invest in? Where are my priorities? Where, where, where do I kind of put my energy, if you will? Because see, if you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, then your priority, of course, is not going to be following Christ. Sometimes I think as the church, we look at a world that doesn't know Jesus and we expect them to act like Jesus. And I think it's, it's far overdue for us to say, if someone doesn't know Jesus, they're not going to act like Jesus. The real issue is when those of us who do know Jesus don't act like Jesus. Now that should keep you up at night. That should motivate you. That should, uh, should kind of you know, put your focus in more on living the life that the Lord has called you to live. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't expect you to act like Jesus. If your neighbors don't have that life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ, you shouldn't be surprised when their priorities are different than yours. But for those of us that have made that commitment to follow Jesus Christ, our lives should look different. But yet, if he's not Lord of your life, I pray that today would be the day that you say, you know what, I want to give the control of my life to Jesus Christ because I'm living under the authority maybe of something in this world, but I want to live under the authority of him. At our second service today, we're going to be baptizing uh, a, a child named George Holland. And uh, George is an awesome young man that's grown up here in Rolling Hills. And um, I'm so excited for George. And, I, and I'm thinking now George is, is someone who's he's living for Jesus Christ and his parents and our family ministry and everybody here who calls Rolling Hills home. It's now our responsibility to help shape him and to mold him into who God has made him to be. But if you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not going to act like Jesus But if Jesus has changed you, if Jesus has come in and inhabited your heart, if you have given him control of your life, then it's time that we look in a mirror and say, does my life reflect him? Does my life reflect the things that he would want me to be about? Because if I don't make that conscious decision for the Lord to be the filter that I look at everything through, what will I tend to do? I'll tend to be just like this population that Paul is speaking out against. And he's saying they did not submit to the authority of God, so they created their own. They didn't follow the lordship of Jesus. They followed the lordship of insert your name. Now, any number of things can be authorities in your life, can't they? Any number of things can be the priority. Any number of things can be what we deem or think is actually most important. You know, if 
if we deem finances most important in our life, then that will be the filter that we look at everything through. We'll make every decision in life based on how does it affect the bottom line or how does it affect my bank account or how does it affect X, Y, Z. If finances is the main priority, if that's kind of what's Lord over your life, then you'll look at everything through that filter. If politics is your filter, you will look at everything through some lens, some political lens and every decision, every conversation, everything that you ever do or say or passionate about will you know, have some kind of uh, political leaning if you will. Well, or maybe your kids are the most important things in your life. And should kids be absolutely important to us? Absolutely. But if what's happening in their lives and the things that you want to see happen in their lives and the dreams and the aspirations you have for them, if those take control over what really needs to be the most controlling factor in your life, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then ultimately these things are little G gods. These are little images that we are worshiping. And these are little things that we're worshiping that Paul is saying are created in our own authority, are created in kind of our own image, and they will always fall short. They will never truly satisfy. Whereas there is a righteousness that is available to all who believe. It's what he says in verse four. There's a righteousness that is available to all of us who believe, who have that faith in Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you've accepted that today and that you're following him and that you're trusting him. Let's head back to the text and pick back up in verse five, scrolling all the way down through verse 13. So Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law, and the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, because this is a very well-written letter, from Paul to the churches in Rome, he does something that would really stand to reason for all of us. It's kind of like if you really want to help emphasize a point, if there's really something that you want to make sure that someone gets, what do you have to do? You have to repeat it over and over and over again. It's kind of like a child. If you tell a child something one time, are they going to adhere to every rule that you have set in front of them? They may not adhere to the rules after you've told them a hundred times. But every time that you say it, it increases the likelihood. Every time that I stand up here and say something repeated to you over and over and over again, probably by the seventh or the eighth time, you're just probably thinking to yourself, I think he really means that. He has said that so many times and put so much emphasis on it that I probably should listen to that because there might be something there. See, that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying to us one more time, in case you didn't get it in chapter one, in case you didn't get it in chapter two, in case you didn't get it in the third part of the letter or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth or the seventh or the eighth or the ninth, just in case you didn't get it and any of these words, I want you to understand this one more time. Salvation comes through faith and not by works. Salvation comes through faith and not by works. Why the constant repetition? It's a constant repeating refrain in this letter because it was truly at the heart 
of the greatest struggle that was happening amongst these first century Christ followers. You have Gentiles who have accepted Christ by faith for the very first time. And you have this Jewish population that is not accepted. Many of them has not accepted Christ by faith. And they're, they're seeking to live a righteousness by their own rules and by their own set of standards. And when your entire being is centered around following rules and criticizing others who don't follow those rules and who look at others and think, you're not as good as I am because you don't follow the rules the way that I do. And you believe that your own actions are truly what makes you right in the eyes of God. Paul says, I've got to repeat this continuously. And it bears repeating for all of us as well. It has to be said for us as well. You can never do enough good acts to warrant what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. You cannot um, work your way into this free gift that the Lord has offered you. I've been privileged over my ministry career to have a front row seat at a lot of cool things that God has done. And we've seen some really cool things happen here in the life of our church. And you've seen cool things happen. You've seen really powerful things happen in the lives of others. But one of the biggest obstacles that I see day in and day out of preventing others from having that true, freeing, life-giving, joyful relationship with God is they struggle to see that it's a free gift. Because when something in life is told or we're told that something is free, we're like, yeah, right. Because if it's free, it's probably too good to be true. And so we struggle with that. We're not used to things being free. And because of that, we think that we need to keep adding to it. We need to think that there's something that I've got to add into that equation. Whereas in reality, it's something that we accept. It's something that we believe. And it's a heart change and it's a life change. And we accept that and we don't add to it. Go back with me to verses 9 and 10, because this is how salvation comes. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. See, it starts with a declaration of belief. And it starts with that declaration of, Jesus, you are Lord, meaning nothing else is Lord, meaning what happens in my family, what happens with our finances, what happens politically, what happens in our country, what happens with my success, what happens with my kids' success. All of those things are really secondary to following the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are Lord. And every time that you proclaim Jesus is Lord, in essence, what you're saying is nothing else is Lord then. He is Lord over all in my life. And all of those things, as good as they are, without Christ are meaningless, aren't they? You can have all the money in the world and it's never going to satisfy. But yet with Jesus Christ as your center, Jesus Christ as your true north and whatever happens in your life, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're successful or not, whether you're filled with joy all the time or you're still filled with joy even in the midst of struggles and chaos, regardless of whatever your situation looks like, you can find that relationship with Jesus Christ because of faith faith in him and a belief in what he has done, a, a change in my heart, a confession with my mouth, a belief in my heart that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead. And when you make that commitment, everything changes. And what he says is that there's not shame anymore. There's no shame anymore when I believe and accept Jesus as Lord of my life. Now, what does the enemy want to do in your life? The enemy wants you to stay in a cycle of shame, doesn't he? 
The enemy wants you to stay in a cycle of shame. The enemy yearns to keep you in shame, whereas God yearns for you to experience freedom. And that's why we talk about freedom all the time here at Rolling Hills. That's why we talk about a life-giving relationship because the enemy wants you to stay in this really vicious downward spiral because shame is a prison for many, many people. And we have shame over so many things. We have shame over our past. We have shame over the mistakes that we have made. We have shame over the things that we have missed. We have shame over the things that we didn't do. And yet, Paul's saying in this letter, there's freedom in Christ. There's peace in Christ. Why? Because there's now no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference anymore. There used to be this big division between Jews and Gentiles. And now in the presence of Jewish people and Gentiles who would have felt inferior, to be quite honest, just a few years prior to this, Paul says there now is no shame anymore because no one is more or less inferior than another. There's this Gentile population that just a few years prior to this, they felt shame for eating bacon, but Jesus said, you don't have to feel shame anymore for that. Praise God. (laughs) Because in the presence of this Jewish population, even the things that they would have eaten would have been reason for that Jewish population to look at them and say, "Mm, you're worse off than we are. And in this moment now, Jesus is saying there's, there's no division. We're all one in Christ. It's this game-changing truth for our life. And once we experience that, this is where life gets really, really fun. Because once we experience that, it does prayerfully change us from the inside out. But then Paul immediately transitions to what do then you do with this? Because how do you know that you've really learned something? You know that you've learned something when you put it into practice, don't you? I mean, I can stand up here all day and tell you truth after truth after truth, but until you internalize it and actually go do something with it, it's just knowledge. And yet that knowledge, as good as it is, doesn't really change us and doesn't really change anyone else. But yet we have the privilege now to go and be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. We have a privilege to now take this truth into a hurting, into a broken world and to share with them that Jesus loves them. Unless we forget, it's not something that we get to opt out of. And prayerfully, it's something that we don't want to opt out of, but rather it's something that we, that we yearn to understand as a part of our calling and the understanding of the purpose for which you and I now live. And so Paul's built this case of righteousness by faith. He's built this case of they're really, really zealous, but just misplaced. And they've created an authority of their own opposed to a lordship. And so he says, once you really get where salvation comes from, that it's a belief in your heart, it's a confession with your mouth. Once you understand all that, once your forever has been changed, you now have to go do something with that. And you have to go share that. And he immediately turns his attention to helping the first century church understand, what am I supposed to do with this now? What am I supposed to do with this knowledge and this life that I now have? So pick back up in verse 14, going all the way down through 21. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? 
Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. You read this text. And it begs the question, how then can a dying world call on one that they don't believe in? How can they believe in one that they've not heard about? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? See, this is where you come in. This is where you and I get our marching orders for the Christian life that the Lord has called us to live. See, you have a role in the work that God wants to do in others. Did you know that? You have a role in the work that God wants to do in others others. Now, just to make sure that we all understand our role, you're not the star of the show though, okay? (laughs) Sometimes we like to think we just won the award for best actor. No, we're not the star of the show, nor are we the director of the show. We're not the one who wrote the story. We have a very strong supporting role. But lest we forget, we're not the director. We have a very strong supporting role. God invites us into this work. You have a role in the work that God wants to do in others, but do not leave this place thinking that your work is really what changes anybody. It's your obedience to the work of the Holy Spirit in and through you that ultimately changes other people. You don't do the changing. God does the changing, but who does he desire to use? You. He desires to use you in this process. Some of us have spent a lot of years, uh, maybe even in our Christian life, kind of out in the shadows. We've had really good church attendance. We have served. We have stepped up whenever the church says we need you. We have high morals, but maybe we're kind of just unsure. How does God really want to use me? Or does God really want to use me? Or can God use someone like me? with my brokenness and with my struggles. Trust me, he can and he will. He does if you make yourself available. I mean, think about your life. Think about your sphere of influence right now. See, wherever you live, you have people around you. Most of us probably have people that live somewhat close to us. Maybe it's neighbors or maybe it's people on our street or people on our cul-de-sac. or or just generally speaking, people that we kind of interface with on a day-to-day basis. I mean, when's the last time that you woke up and thought to yourself, I wonder where my neighbors are spiritually. I wonder if that couple over there has hope, the hope that we have. I see this family over here kind of running 100 miles an hour. We're also running 100 miles an hour, but I wonder if they know what's really important because we know what's really important because of the relationship we have with Jesus, but do they know what's really important? I mean, think about your daily activities. Maybe you go to a gym or maybe you play golf or maybe you have a coffee shop that you frequent, you know, a couple times a week, whatever the case might be. Do you ever look around and think to yourself, I wonder where all of these people are spiritually? Or do they just kind of come and go in and out of those doors, never to be thought about again? I mean, think about your work. You have office mates. Many of you have clients. Did you ever sit across conference rooms from people, conference room tables, and think to yourself, I wonder where these people are spiritually? Or a customer walks into your business, do you think, oh, someone's here just to spend money? Or I wonder where this person is. I wonder where their heart is. 
And what could I do or what could I say? What about my actions and what about my words could point them to what really matters most to me? Think about those other parents on the sidelines. Where are they spiritually? See, you and I have work to do, don't we? And it's really easy for us to just say, you know what, I'm going to opt out of that. But yet what Paul is saying is that our responsibility is to go because how can they believe unless someone tells them? And how can they hear unless someone shows up and speaks those words? I've heard so many stories here in the life of our church of neighbors living out their faith that has changed the forevers of people here in our midst. We're going to be baptizing a lady next week uh, who, that's her story. Her story is her neighbors lived out their faith. They lived out a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ, and she noticed something different about that. And through that relationship, her forever has now been changed. So see, these aren't just stories that happen in other places for other people. That's you and I. So what are we waiting on? Are we waiting for it to be easy? Are we waiting for it to be culturally acceptable? Are we waiting for that moment when we have all the answers? See, if you're waiting for that moment when sharing Jesus is culturally acceptable and sharing Jesus is really, really easy and sharing Jesus when I have all the answers, if that's what you're waiting for, I'm going to tell you something because I love you. You're going to be waiting a long time. And we'll go to our graves, never fully internalizing and and, and getting ourselves out there on the front lines of those ministry opportunities. So are we waiting for the proper time? Or unfortunately, what's happened in my life sometimes, and maybe this you can relate to as well, do you ever have to ask yourself this question? Are you waiting on someone else to do what God has called you to do? Are you waiting on someone else to do what God has called you to do? Because we see these needs and we know they matter. We see the eternities of others and we know they matter. We see neighbors who may not have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe our prayer is, God, send someone else to them. (laughs) Opposed to saying, God, send me to them. Send me into their lives. Go back to verse 15. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Did you know that you are God's plan A for people to know him? You are God's plan A. There's not another plan. There's not some institution. There's not some hierarchy that we've yet to see that God is going to reveal to us to make all things right and good. You are the plan. The church was the plan for God. The church exists. We exist to equip you, to get you pumped up, and then to send you out and to live out your faith into your homes, into your workplaces, into your community. And Paul says how beautiful it is when faithful followers of Jesus Christ bring the good news. I pray that you've seen that with your own eyes. I pray that you've seen those moments where you're able to be a part of someone else's life and you see freedom come to them. And they, they realize that in their own right, they can never be good enough to experience a relationship with God, but it's only through Jesus Christ. And we get to be on the front lines of that. How can others live a life of faith like you are living? It says in verse 17, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of Christ. Your actions play a huge part in pointing other people to Jesus Christ, but it's those words coupled with those actions 
that show people what really matters to you. So what needs to change in my life today for me to be more passionate about what really matters? What needs to change in your life to be more passionate about what really matters? Have I allowed something else to be Lord in my life? Do I cheer on others but rarely get involved myself? Do I hear these calls that we give as a church to say, be passionate about this? And we think to ourselves, I'm so glad other people care about that. I just don't know how I need to care about that. Whatever the Lord is stirring in your heart right now, I pray that you would respond to him today and that you would say, Lord, I am here and I know that you are here. And I wanna make myself available today, Lord, for whatever it is, whatever your plans are for my life, put me in. God, I don't wanna sit on the sidelines anymore. I don't want to just watch everybody else be passionate about the things of the Lord, but I want to experience what you have given me, Lord. And I want to tell others about that. And I'm not gonna be perfect. I'm not gonna know all the answers. I'm probably gonna stumble over my words from time to time, but God, I know that you have called me. And because you have called me, you will equip me. And I pray that you would help me to be a person of faith that shares life with others and that will trust that you're gonna work in a way that only you God can work. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day of life. Thank you for just the peace that we can experience now, God, because of you. I thank you, Lord, that you are here in our midst and that you love us and that you care for us. And I thank you, God, that we as the church are your plan to see life-giving things happen in others. God, you're calling us And I pray that we would humbly respond to that, that we would boldly proclaim, even if it's not popular, even if it may not seem acceptable at times, that we would boldly proclaim there that you are the only way for our lives to be made right through Jesus Christ is the only way that we can have that relationship with you. So God, I pray right now for the person in this room that doesn't have that relationship with you. And I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit right here and right now, that they would surrender control of their life to you. Lord, if there's another Lord in our life opposed to you, I pray that today that would fall and that we would stop pursuing the idols of this world or the idols of our heart, but that we would fall passionately in love with you, God. We thank you that you are here and we pray that you would now work in whatever way it is as we simply listen to you and respond to you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.